Good afternoon. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. We don't have a Jays game to tee up for you tonight, which is a shame because if you heard J.D. Bunkus on with McKee and Gunning there, uh, you just could have played that for the Jays and they would have went out and run through a wall. J.D. was fired up on vacation, no less. It's a good time to be fired up about the Jays. Missed opportunities. Another one yesterday. They'd won two in a row against the Cubs, sure. Uh, Two and four over that stretch against the Cubs and Angels, though. And for a team that's running out of games against inferior competition, that stretch could hurt a couple weeks from now if you're outside the playoff picture or if you're on the road in a wild card game even. Jays lose 7-5 last night. Another tough Mitch White game. Five runs each game that series. It's not the worst thing. If you average five runs a game for the season, you're okay, but you're better than okay. But to do that against the Cubs with the pitchers that they rolled out there, that that can't feel great. Um, Biggio and Kirk Homer yesterday, Tasker Hernandez and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. each have two hits. Nice to see those guys perhaps rounding out of it. And hey, at least the team didn't botch things with runners in scoring position because they didn't get runners in scoring position. Uh, one for three with runners in scoring position in that one. They finished August 13 and 14. You talk about the team being streaky and yeah. That was this story in August, if not the whole season. Um, the offense, you know, again, I've mentioned this before. I, I pulled all the numbers. They're not that much more streaky than any other team in their tier in terms of how the offense ebbs and flows. But they went 4-9 and to start this month. And keep in mind, that was right after the trade deadline where, you know, some people were justifiably underwhelmed at the additions. And it was coming off that hot stretch post-manager change. So they go 4-9. and And then they bounce back and they go 7-1. and And that includes 6-1 and on the road at Boston and at the Yankees. Things feel good again. But then you get swept by the Angels, and then, yeah, you take two or three against the Cubs, but I think you look at that Angels and Cubs um, six set as a set, and uh, going two and four over it is not great. So here you are. You remain eight games back of the Yankees in the division, and... Maybe you thought that was gone. The Rays are only six back of them. There might be an AL East division race here down the stretch. You're just not in it, really. You're in the third wildcard spot. You're game and a half back of Seattle. You're two games back of Tampa Bay. Maybe you're okay with the third wildcard spot because you'd rather play the AL Central winner than Seattle or Tampa Bay. You don't have the luxury of playing for that, though, because Baltimore is only two games behind you, and you've got a lot of games left against them. Minnesota's only three games behind you. The White Sox and Red Sox are, are probably out of it, but they're not statistically too far away. And then Texas is way behind. I only mention that because you've got three against them next week. Texas weirdly is way below 512 games out of a playoff spot and have a positive run differential on the year. That is all to say that they are not a pushover game to game. There are reinforcements kind of coming. Bradley Zimmer and Casey Lawrence were added to the roster today as rosters expand. We'll go into some of those choices uh, throughout the show. We've got Drew Fairservice on. 
a little later. We'll see what he thinks of them. We've got Keith Law. We're going to actually prospect heavy show with no game today. We've got Keith Law coming up at six o'clock. He uh, he saw a couple games from the New Hampshire Fisher Cats last week. And we have Brent LaValle coming on at 530. He's the manager of the Vancouver Canadians, the Jays high A club uh, that is very likely playoff bound. So um, we'll tee up the Pittsburgh Pirates series in more detail tomorrow once we know the pitching assignments and things like that. Uh, But today we'll go a little prospect heavy. We'll talk to Drew uh, about these roster expansion moves. Uh, But right now we're joined by Adnan Verk of MLB Network, of NHL Network, of extreme Serena Williams fandom as all of us have been uh, the last little bit here. Adnan, how, how much fun was that for you yesterday? I was awesome, Blake. As a matter of fact, I'm uh, actually on my way right now to the U.S. Open. I uh, veteran moved here because I've heard the traffic is of course nauseating. I've been to the U.S. Open a few times. Of course, the one dearest to my heart, the great Roger Federer. I saw Federer Djokovic uh, a few years back, U.S. Open final. No back and forth. He won in four sets. I'll never forget these Serbian men next to me with the flags. And they were so gracious. I was like, oh, we love Federer. I mean, he is the best. But we just love Novak. I'm like, yeah, yeah, thanks for loving Salt Lewis. Anyways, tonight, Blake, I'm going to New York. I'm actually in New York, right? I'm in Queens. But tonight is not only, as you mentioned, Serena in the doubles here in Venus, but also Mets Dodgers, which is the best series right oh. now in the National League. So, God forbid, because you met, listen, we know the traffic in downtown Toronto on a crazy, you know, caravan a weekend or something. Could you imagine the Billy Jean King USDA Center and uh, City Field, formerly Shea Stadium, they're joining forces. Someone told me they go, it might take you three hours to get there, three hours <laughs> to get out. So, classic move just as if you're in Toronto. You just go park on the street. I'm in Queens right now, 61st and 39th. I'm going to take a train a couple stops. It'd be like parking at Dundas and going, all right, take the train a couple stops to Bloor, and away we go. So, uh, I will be there tonight. I will not be seeing Serena. Here's the downside of the US Open. I'm sure you know this. When you get tickets, you don't know who it's for. It's just day eight night session, day six day session, et cetera, and you pay these reaping amount of money. Now, of course, being good Canadian, I was just hoping to see Andrescu or, you know, FAA. Of course, FAA is gone. But I got tickets for the night session, Armstrong, which is Collins, the American. Don't really care. But our boy Shapovala playing at 5 o'clock, and I believe you gain admittance at 6 o'clock. So as soon as we finish this conversation, I'm going to hop on the train, and hopefully I will be uh, – Tweeting a lot of reports of Denis, who is on court 17, hopefully making all Canadians proud. But you're right. I will be keeping an eye on Serena and Venus. I'll be at the Armstrong. The Ash Center, of course, is right next door. So it'll be cool at least breathe the air of Serena. Yeah, and, and not many more opportunities to do it. So glad you get to do that one. Uh, glad you've been able to enjoy it uh, on TV and then this week there as well. Um, I, I know we bring you on for baseball, but this is the drive time show. I feel, and you are at NHL network. I feel like I can get one NHL question in. Um, Adnan, when you see earlier this week or, or on the weekend, rather, Nazem Kadri bring the cup to a Muslim mosque in London, how, how much did that moment mean to you? Oh, it's unbelievable, Blake. You know, I, I'm so proud of Nazem just for just his life trajectory. I was working at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment when he was, you know, picked up by the Leafs and. Never had a chance to have a conversation. I thought it would have been pretty meaningful. Hey, look, I'm, I'm the host here at Leafs TV, and I'm Muslim, and you're Muslim, and how cool is this? So we never got to have that moment together, but I do remember telling Brian Burke, hey, listen, this is a massive moment. I don't know if you understand this. He goes, no, no, I do. I said, no, Burke, you can be a truculent guy. I don't know if you actually understand how meaningful this is for kids like me. We never had any Muslim hockey players growing up, and, and Nas is a real symbol for us. Now, more to that point, as you hear the train rumbling by, uh, the other aspect is that Kadri's career has been fascinating. You know, with the Leafs, obviously had his ups and downs. Got Babcock's dad, doghouse. Um, 
obviously ran afoul of the law, suspensions, et cetera. <laughs> I just love the comportment which he's shown, Blake, this past season. Like, he completely balls out, has a phenomenal season, um, gets her unfortunate, inopportune time, faces horrible social media hate against his faith and his background, which is why he smartly posts. And he goes out there and returns and scores a pivotal goal. It's a great narrative. And to now cap that by bringing a, a Stanley Cup to a mosque, I could just never imagine. You know, I, was, I was back in Toronto a couple weeks ago. We, we have a mosque in Vaughan, right near Canada's Wonderland. My parents live 10 minutes away. It's the mosque I've always gone to when I was going to Ryerson. So I, I couldn't imagine one of these. Hey, guess what? Nazim Kadri's bringing a Stanley Cup by. It's, uh, it's so important. You know, as they say so often, when people are minorities, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. And I think that is so vitally clear. You know, for myself, I got to see Sunil Joshi, uh, you know, doing sports on, on CTV. And it was, I remember when I met Sunil, I'm like, this is so important. I never saw a brown face before. So to see Nazim doing that, you can't put a number on how many people he's going to inspire. No, it's awesome. It's been great to see. It's been great to hear things like that from you, from Faisal Kamisa here, um, uh, Amr Gill, like the the everyone in the sports community who sees that representation is so important. So um, glad you got a chance to see that. Glad Nazem got to do that. And uh, you know, not related to the to the mosque side of it. Nice to see Nazem get paid after uh, the season he had uh, as well. Um, we'll pivot to baseball now, Adnan. Last time we had you on here, or last time I was in this slot and had you on here. It feels like we were having almost the exact same Jays conversation where they turned it on for a little bit and then started to fall off. And, you know, you look at where the standings are. You look at what the AL East looks like, the AL wild card. They haven't really moved in either direction in any meaningful way. That makes for good September baseball and it makes for a good September Blue Jays show probably. Um, But is there a little bit of disappointment on your end that this team hasn't been able to carry any momentum forward, make up ground on the Yankees or, or, you know, further insulate themselves from the Baltimore's and Minnesota's of the world? Uh, yeah, I think twofold. One, like you said, the fact they couldn't gain more ground in New York, New York could not have had a worse August. My boy Aaron Boone, they just had a miserable month. And for the Yankees to still have like a six game lead over the Rays just shows how much room that they've built up. Now the Rays went from 12 games back to six games back. That's notable, but the Blue Jays, we all thought the start of the season were going to be the AL East division champions. And you would have thought eventually it was going to click for this team, but it has not happened. Now, having said that to me, you get in the playoffs, you get in the playoffs. And AJ Preller has clearly followed this model with the Padres. Let me go and get Soto. Hopefully we'll fix Hader. Bell will step up at some point. We'll get Drury. And eventually the Padres will make the playoffs. Who cares who win the division or not? Once you get in, it's a crapshoot. Let's treat it like March Madness, right? It's a best <laughs> of three first round. Let's win that. Let's go best of five division series. Let's win that. Let's go best of seven NLCS. And who knows? So I, I will caution against any sort of frustration for Jays fans by saying, hey, just get in the dance. You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, what does it matter? It's kind of like in, in basketball. Does it matter if you're a five seed or you're a three seed in the Eastern Conference? Like, no, ultimately, you've got to beat the teams you got to play. I think for the Jays, I know it's a cliche, but the consistency that they face, like, the biggest challenge is that with their starting pitching, for too long, it's felt like a Charlie Sheen sitcom. It's been two and a half men. It's been Manoa, who's a top ten pitcher in baseball. He's fourth right now in the American League in ERA. It's Gossman, who's tremendous. And then it's Barrios, who's half man, half amazing, and then half terrible. Like, you've paid him $130 million, and we're now a year of Barrios being there. He's in ERA a little south of five. That's horrible, considering he gave up Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson for this guy. So, at times, he's dominant. I think his stuff is there, but he's just not consistent enough. Mitch White's Mitch White. Nobody can expect Mitch White to deliver, although Stripling has been a godsend. I've been amazed how good he's been as far as plug and play. Rio obviously done for the season. You say Kikuchi. I say he's a bust. 
the Jays ultimately are looking at, like I said, two and a half men, maybe three and a half men looking at their pitchers. Romano's been great, obviously. He's a terrific closer. And Zimmer's done a good job. The fact he's got 10 wins, which is second most to the team behind Manoa, is noteworthy. But ultimately, for me, Blake, it comes down to their offense. Nobody expected this team to be pitching dominant. They said they're going to score runs. And Vlad Jr.'s been terrific. Springer is such a catalyst for this team. He's got to stay healthy. When Springer's in there, watch out. And they do have a lot of depth on this team. I looked after Teoscar Hernandez hit his 19th home run of the season. That's another 100-hit guy. The Jays have eight players with 100 or more hits. That's the most of the majors. So that's a balanced offensive attack. Let's hope that consistency helps out. Yeah, to, to carry your, I, I didn't want to cut you off there, but to carry the two and a half men joke further, you could give Ross Stripling, you know, Ross Stripling's the Ashton Kutcher who comes in for the Charlie Sheen. A little unexpected, but it carries on the rotation a little longer uh, than maybe you'd expect. That up and down in the offense, though, is something I wanted to ask you about because you're right. They do have eight guys with 100 hits. They have, I believe, seven guys with a, an OPS plus of league average or better. And still, and overall, they've been a, a top five offense by most metrics, but still they've had these stretches where you score two runs over an entire series against the Angels. And yeah, Shohei started one of those games, but only one. And then even the Cubs, you scored five in each of those games. Five runs a game is fine, but you look at who the Cubs had out there starting and out of the bullpen and doing a full bullpen day, it's a little underwhelming. Do you have... An, an idea or, or a theory as to why an offense that on paper is very deep and very balanced has been prone to some lulls like this. I wish, man. It was a lot of this team last year, too. You would know as well as I do. They, they'd have games, they put up a crooked number, and they'd bash the team and score 12. And the next game of the series, they'd get shit out. And you go, oh, my God, can we just balance this and get to 6 and 6? <laughs> um, I just think sometimes offenses can be streaky. You know, and that's exemplified by a lot of their hitters. Like Kirk, I was happy to see go deep yesterday. But you know what I do? That's his second home run in 31 games. If this guy's an all-star catcher, and in his second half, he's only hitting 250. Um, has always been a streaky guy. Guriel can be streaky. Espinal in the great first half is cooled off. So I think it's just kind of exemplified by their players. They're just not those consistent bat-to-ball types. They're guys who go on hot streaks and then stay hot. I think if Bo Bichette was more consistent, that would help because for me, he's the one guy that I say overall, if I look at his season, defensive run save, look at his war, he's going to play a lot better. The Jays need more out of Bo Bichette. Yeah, and, you know, Vlad to some degree as well. He's obviously made good, but he hasn't been last year's second in the MVP race, Vlad. When you look at Bo and Vlad's seasons together, and there are big decisions with them on the horizon, but strictly from a projecting this team forward standpoint, do you have to downgrade a little bit after these seasons, or is it almost comforting that they're both having lesser seasons by their standards and they're still, you know, pretty good players? Like, I, I guess... What I'm saying is you could go either way with that. You could be of two minds about your top guys having down years that are still solid, just not spectacular. Well, I think where it gets frustrating is this. What does this mean long-term? Before you and I would have said, give each of those guys $200 million plus, and it's a steal, and Vlad's going to be 250 Maybe it's 10 years, 300 Maybe it's 340 like Tatis's deal. Maybe you structure it like Julio Rodriguez. He's got more in his resume than Julio does. And I still can't understand that unless I was a mathematician major. I just know the base is seven for 120 and away we go. But what this year does is give me pause for Bichette. Because before I would have said, oh, yeah, he's getting 10 years, 200. Now I'm like, meh, I don't know about that. Like, I think he's a, a really good player, but he's not consistent enough for me to give him a massive contract. So, God forbid that Jason missed the playoffs. I wouldn't be shocked to entertain some offers for Bo Bichette. I really wouldn't because you can get a really good price for him. 
He's a young player with plenty of potential. Maybe you put all your eggs in that fly basket, supplement the pitching, but you don't get ball all that money. Yeah, it's, it'll be an interesting decision. And then, you know, on on the other side of that, Vlad, again, uh, was the number number two in the MVP race last year. Uh, he will not be that high on ballots this year, I don't think. Curious as to your take, Adnan, Shohei Otani continues to make and break records and do these statistical things that nobody even bothered to look up before because, of course, no one had had 30 home runs and 10 pitching wins in the same season before. And Babe Ruth really only had one year doing both roles as a as a full-time thing. Um, you guys at MLB Network, I, I mean, I know you keep an eye on the Jays. Shohei was here last weekend. And then you have Yankees at Angels with Shohei in this big, big spot opposite Aaron Judge. Um, how special is it to get to see a guy like this who probably won't ever have anyone we can compare to him? And, you know, you're on MLB Network every day. You get you get to do this. You guys get to have those games. Um, the Shohei experience as a media member must be a blast. Yeah, I think we have to tell ourselves, Blake, like, don't get, don't get spoiled by greatness. Meaning sometimes when you cover a sport day in and day out, you suffer from the fatigue, right? Oh, okay, another Otani story. Okay, what's Otani doing? But you go, no, no, step back a little bit. Like you said, first guy ever, 10 wins and 30 or more home runs in a season. It's ridiculous. And this year, his offense is a little down from last year, but his pitching is better. So he wins the MVP last year because he's such a unicorn. And yet this year... He's putting together, like I said, a better pitching season. Nearly not going to offensively fine, but he's still going to be the runner-up for the MVP. Like, Judge might break Maris's record, which is amazing to me. Like, that's shocking. That record may go down, which has stood since 61, asterisks or not. And if you took Aaron Judge away from the Yankees, they would not be a first team. That's how critical he's been in their offense and how much they've missed Stanton and, you know, the, the down production of LeMahieu and others. Like, Torres is inconsistent. You know, Trevino had a good first half, so on and so forth. So I think Judge is the MVP because he's the best player on the best team. But if you want to just go MOP, most outstanding player, it's Otani. Like, if you look at his numbers specifically lately, his last 13 starts, he's got a 1-1-3 ERA. That splitter is wipeout stuff. And last night was such a good example of why baseball is a great game because of those matchups. Because you had them with Judge earlier, and then Otani almost gets hit. They're going to review it for a second. Now we'll keep it going. And then he hits a three-run shot off the $324 million man in Garrett Cole. And the Angels win that game through, too. It wasn't a walk-off, but it might as well have been. It's another example of how clutch Otani is. The frustration is his team is so lousy, right? If you took yeah. him away from that team, they're still bad. If you took Judge away, they wouldn't be nearly as good. So that does hurt him in that MVP race. Well, Adnan, here's a, instead of MOP, let me throw this at you. Justin Verlander and Shea McClanahan are both on the IL. We had thought for a while there that the one, two in the Cy Young race in the AL was probably pretty set with those two. Shohei Otani has a 267 ERA and leads all starters in strikeouts per nine. Uh, he's third behind Verlander and Gosman and Fangraphs war. The idea of Otani going MVP one year and Cy Young the next year is almost more interesting to me than back-to-back MVPs, I think. That would be insane. You're right. I thought you were going to go and say, what about Manoa for the Cy Young? But you know what? He is fourth in the ERA right now. Yeah. If he could just have a banana in September, I don't think it's going to be him. Cole right now leads in strikeouts, which is always an important stat. But you're right. If you just look at ERA, it really is the Verlander show, who's a half a run better than McClanahan. Both those guys hurt. Hopefully Verlander's been a couple of starts. 
But you're right. If Otani could make a push for Cy Young, <laughs> how ridiculous would that be? Because all along you said to yourself, well, he's not going to pitch enough innings. He's like a 120, 130. No, he could hit 170, 180 innings. And why not? He's rubber-armed. He's been really healthy after injury concerns earlier in his career. So I'm with you, dude. If he won a Cy Young, my God, hats off. Also, no one's going to pitch 200-plus innings. Like Cole and Framber Valdez might get there, but that's it. Nobody throws 200 innings anymore. Uh, so we got to lower the bar. Adnan, before I let you go watch some tennis... I am, this is a, a secret. I haven't told anyone this publicly before, but uh, in a couple of weeks, in a much lower stakes environment than you did, I'm going to make my debut as a wrestling commentator. Do you have any tips for me? Oh, that's unbelievable, dude. I know we've talked about wrestling before. I know you're an avid fan of the sport. Listen, lean on those around you because they're so smart. That's what I, I did, unfortunately, not successfully enough. But Corey Graves and Byron Saxon, those guys were so good. Michael Cole was so helpful to me and so generous, so... Listen, as long as you have a great support system around you, I know you're a much more uh, avid wrestling fan and know all the moves and stuff better than me. So, dude, you're going to be great. I can't wait. Congrats. Uh, thank you. I'll do my best. And, again, much lower stakes, not at the WWE level or anything like that, but uh, it'll be fun. Uh, Adnan Verk, enjoy the heck out of, uh, out of that tennis, and best of luck with the Mets-Dodgers slash U.S. Open traffic, man. Center of the sports world, Blake. I'll be there. Good to talk to you, man. Hopefully we'll talk soon. All right. Uh, Adnan Verk of MLB Network, of NHL Network. Uh, fun chat. The American League this September is going to be awesome. Um, this is, you know, you can begrudge the Blue Jays for not doing better uh, to catch up to the Yankees or, or create some wiggle room or whatever uh, for the wild card spot. But every game the rest of the way for what, eight teams in the American League? are going to be immensely important. Maybe Houston doesn't care as much um, because they're going to cruise so easily to uh, probably to home field through the American League playoffs. Maybe even through the whole thing. I think they're four games up on Atlanta as well. Um, But the Yankees are suddenly defending their division lead against Tampa. Cleveland still has Minnesota quite close and Chicago not completely out of the race yet. Then you've got Tampa, Seattle, Toronto, Baltimore, and whichever AL Central teams aren't at the top of the division fighting for the wild card. All, again, Tampa, Seattle, Toronto, Baltimore, Minnesota, all within five games of each other. And if you're Toronto, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, you have a lot of games left against each other. Those are going to feel huge. The Jays do not have many light opponents left. This is why the sweep to the Angels felt bigger than... Another sweep because you look ahead, you've got the Pirates for three this weekend, but then it's Orioles for four, Texas for three. And yeah, Texas has been bad, but again, they can score a lot of runs. That is not as much as they've fired half the front office and the manager and the record is the record. They're 58 and 71. They've outscored opponents. I don't mean that in a like analytically, oh, they've been better than their record way. I just mean that. They can put a number up on you. They've scored almost as many runs as the Blue Jays this year. And that's right near the top of the American League. Only New York has more than the Jays. So Texas, yes, is a sub-500 team, but a plucky one. And then you're done. You're done against sub-500 teams until the very last week of the season when you get Boston for three. You can absolutely take the mind that controlling and this is something Ross Atkins said the other day when we were talking to him in the the clubhouse before Monday's game 
you can absolutely take the mind that you control your own destiny because you are in a playoff spot right now and you're entering September with a lot of games left against the team you're chasing and the team that's chasing you. That is an opportunity. It is also a threat because if you have another bad week or another bad weekend that can dramatically shake up what the standings look like, it puts a pretty big premium on weekends like this where you'll play a very lowly 49 and 81 Pittsburgh Pirates team that by run differential have been better than only the Washington Nationals this year. And you've probably only heard of one of the guys who's going to start this week. And we don't know their starters for sure yet, but it looks like JT Brubaker is going to be the only, uh, we'll say we'll use fantasy relevant as a cutoff because maybe you're hardcore and you do know some of the, some of the call-ups, but yeah. You got to make more hay than you made with the Angels and the Cubs, certainly. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look ahead to the future a little bit. And we're going to talk about another team in the organization that is probably playoff bound. Brent LaValle, manager of the Jays' high A affiliate, Vancouver Canadians, joins us next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. No Jays game tonight. That's always a good time to take a look around the Blue Jays farm system. So we got a special one today. Uh, Very, very excited to welcome manager of the Jays High A affiliate in Vancouver, the Vancouver Canadians, Brent LaValle. Brent, how are you? Doing well out here. Thanks for having me. So... Got to ask you first, I've lived out in Vancouver before. I took in a lot of games at the Nat. I was there for the 2012 and 2013 championships. You being a North Delta kid, getting to return home and manage that team. How cool has this year been for you? Yeah, it's been uh, absolutely one of the most special, special years and and seasons of my career. And, uh, you know, the fans and the players that that we work with are are just been top-notch. So that's, if I'm remembering right, you used to go to the Nat as a, as a kid as well, right? Definitely. Yep. With my grandfather, parents, uncles, aunts, uh, brothers. I remember it mainly when it was uh, AAA with the Angels. But uh, yeah, I've been going to the Nat my whole life. And now, um, you know, I've seen some stuff on, on your socials. You get to bring your son out to these games or, or to a Jays game in Seattle. Um, how... How meaningful for you has it been to to have your family be able to be a part of that experience with you? Yeah, I mean, that's been crucial. And, and when I left the college game, it was really to get to spend more time with my family and uh, obviously the, the challenge of professional baseball. But, yeah, getting to share this with my nine-year-old boy, my wife, and uh, my three-year-old daughter, along with family and friends that live in the Vancouver area, uh, it's just been uh, incredible, incredible few years with the Blue Jays. So, Brent, this was delayed a little bit. You were hired for the 2020 season. Obviously, the pandemic wipes that out. Last year, uh, you, you coached or you managed in the, the Florida Complex League for the Jays. You making the change from college, then to the Complex League, and now to high A. What's had to change for you as a manager uh, changing those levels? Um, you know, it's been, it's been a, a wonderful change, and it's been a, 
it's been great to work with kids at, at the youngest part of the organization and now, you know, guys that are a step away from the big leagues. So um, there's really no difference. You know, the players are, they're all extremely driven. Uh, they, you know, college players, rookies, and even more mature guys like we have now. So um, it's really just kind of being able to communicate with everyone and then help them achieve their goals and what they're chasing and, you know, coming into pro ball, there's a lot, lot more uh, Spanish speakers and, and people from all over the world. So just the communication and then helping everyone reach their goals has been uh, the biggest challenge and, and the biggest change. When it comes to that level of communication and being to, being able to relate to where the players are and where they want to go, do you think that being on the, the younger end as far as managers go is helpful in that regard? Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, within the Blue Jay framework, though, it, it, I don't think it really matters the age of the manager or experience. We've, we've got an incredible path that we follow and and process that the players and the staff follow. So, um, yeah, being more youthful kind of maybe keeps me more more in tune with the newer things that are happening. But um, the the process we have laid out here, it's, uh, it, it's pretty easy to follow. And the players, you know, they know what their goals are and what they're chasing. Um, when you started this job um, earlier this year. I, I remember reading on the Vancouver Canadians website, you got asked, um, you know, what's your coaching philosophy? And one of the things you said was to play to everyone's strengths. When you are, you know, at this level where, like you said, some of these guys are, are getting pretty close to the majors. Do you have to shift off of that a little bit? Because there are some guys who, you know, you can play to their strengths, but if they don't round out the weaknesses, you know, that could keep them from taking those next steps. Um, I mean, it's, it's a different thing, you know, cause every day you want to really focus on improving the player and improving those strengths. And then you get into game time and, kind of like you mentioned, it, it doesn't always show up. You don't always get the chance to, to play to those strengths. But, you know, we do our best, and um, we like to let the guys who, you know, hit the ball hard, we like to let them hit hard, and like the guys who run, let them run. Um, so, it, you know, it really doesn't change. And, and early in the game, late in the game, I mean, we have faith in our guys to get the job done, and, and this is their job to, to execute. So, um, you know, we just kind of stick to that. You know, stick to your strengths and – you know, hitters are trying to do damage and pitchers are trying to fill up the zone and, and get outs as quick as they can. So really just putting them in line to to do that, you know, the most successful as they can. You've said we a couple times in your answers here. Um, I, I know you guys have a pretty large staff with the Canadians. How have you found the kind of collaborative approach to, to running this team? And I'd imagine that having that many hands is helpful for the young guys developmentally and communication wise. Um, you as kind of the head of that, how have you found the the deeper staff and that level of collaboration? Yeah, I absolutely love it. Uh, especially, you know, coming from my background of small college baseball, where you don't necessarily have uh, full coaching staffs uh, like we do here, but um, every day I'm surrounded by professionals that are very good at their jobs with, uh, with a ton of experience and different backgrounds and, and upbringing. So yeah, our coaching staff here at the Vancouver Canadians, as with every other affiliate we have and, and the organization in general is just extremely talented. We're all here for the same reason. And that's to push the players forward and you know, push the organization forward. And, um, it, it's just a pleasure going to work and, and knowing that you're, you know, your coworkers are doing the best that they can every single day. And I mean, it truly is a we thing. Uh, even for the, the members that aren't on this Vancouver staff, all the coordinators that come in town, all the, you know, the directors, the people that kind of come in for weeks at a time, 
um, they have a huge impact on these players day to day as well. So it's it's more than just the Vancouver affiliate staff that uh, that are helping to push these guys. What is the level of communication like day to day or week to week between you and the kind of developmental group? in Dunedin or New Hampshire or Toronto. Um, I, I think of this mostly because I want to ask you about some of the guys that they took away from you for the, the playoff push here because they had so much success. But um, what's the communication like back and forth? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're constantly communicating, developing, learning. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's a plan laid out for everyone. There's a process we're following and, and we're striving to execute. So, um but no, it's just it's a really cool thing to to see it all kind of work together, and uh, you know, it comes down from the you know the very top of the front office, and and then down to our coordinators and our pitching coaches, hitting coaches, defensive coaches. It just comes down to executing our jobs, and you know, helping helping these guys you know achieve their dreams. Obviously, uh, a championship, the first one for the Canadians since 2017, uh, would be a, a great cap on the season. But when you look at guys like Addison Barger, Ricky Tiedemann, uh, Sam Robersa getting promoted to that next level, is that almost a bigger mark of success for you guys as a staff and you guys as a team? It is. Um, yeah, it, it, like you said, it's just different. Um, winning baseball games and winning championships is its a long haul. It takes gosh, you don't, don't know how many players have been have put on C's uniform this year and staff have come through, but uh, it is different when you're promoting a player because you're talking about a lifetime of work and, and an incredible amount of dedication and preparation that goes into, you know, like the players you mentioned, Sam, Ricky, Barger. Um, you know, so many players have put so much work in and preparation to succeed in these moments that it's, uh, it's a pleasure to watch, and, and it is a different sort of gratification and success than you know going out and winning for example tonight's game so it's uh, it's a cool thing the whole team's pulling for each other um, no greater feeling than getting to promote a player and you know hearing the clubhouse erupt when uh, that player walks back in or you get to tell them the news so it's uh it definitely is a, a different type of gratification but it you know, it goes hand in hand with development and winning. So it, it's cool to get to do them both. Uh, 66, by the way, is the number of guys who have played for you uh, for Vancouver this year. Uh, pretty big, pretty big number. Um, you talk about winning a lot there and, you know, how that goes hand in hand with development. And obviously you guys have had a successful season so far, four and a half up in the division with 10 to go here. We might be getting that playoff Nat experience. Uh, that That's so much fun. But when you talk, when you think about, developing these young players how much extra value is there in going through a race like this and then potentially uh, a playoff run because like I I think about obviously these guys are are trying their absolute hardest and want to take every step possible Um, but once you get into the pressure cooker of it it's also a pennant race it's also a playoff series it feels like maybe the value of that goes up a notch even yeah it's um, you know the course of a long season and you know, it's really a marathon. Um, but I think it was about four weeks ago we we pulled the the group that we had and, and kind of asked for how many players and staff have ever been a part of a minor league playoff, uh, you know, playoff series or playoff run. And uh, of the thirty players and nine staff that we had at the moment, and there was you could probably count on one hand the amount of players that have been through a professional playoff run. And um, that was down in Eugene, so that. Thinking back now, I think that's four weeks, almost even going into our fifth, five weeks ago. Uh, 
And that's when we told the team, like, playoff baseball doesn't start in that last week of the season when you're in the series. This is playoff baseball now. And so, we, you know, you hear it a lot on, you know, when you're watching the big leagues and, you know, um, other top-level professional sports. But, uh, yeah, for the past four and a half weeks, we've been truly playing playoff baseball. And um, I think you've seen our level of, of kind of just level-headedness um, increase. And, and as other teams are pressing and pushing more, we're kind of relaxing and, and enjoying it more. So um, we've been preparing for this playoff push for the last three and a half weeks. And I think uh, just that mindset's led us into some successful weeks here recently. And you've had some guys really step up. And I think specifically about, you know, Addison Barger getting called up and that's your, your top home run hitter out of the middle of your order. And then you have uh, Damiano Palmagiani stepping up in that power role or Gabriel Martinez comes up to you guys and is hitting pretty incredibly in the first 20 games. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you about those two guys in particular. Have you seen them, you know, take on an extra gear and kind of, I guess Martinez is new to you guys, so maybe maybe you don't have the the base to compare it to. Um, but it seems like some stuff is clicking for those two guys at the plate. Yeah, in in, in regards to uh, you know Gabby Martinez and Damiano, uh, they are relatively new to us. But uh, at least from my personal experience, I had both of them in the complex league last year. So uh, the familiarity between themselves and myself and some of the other coaches that we have working together in camps or spring training, um, it really, really expedites that process of getting to know each other and, and trust each other is effectively what you're, you're, you're seeking. So, uh, but both Dom Damiano and Gabby are tremendous workers, tremendous people. Uh, some of the more, some of the easiest players you'll ever approach and, and work with, uh, and, and absolutely not, not surprised by either one of their, their successes to this moment. Um, and and what they did in low A for the first you know half or three quarters of the season was absolutely amazing. So they've more than more than earned this chance to show it here, and and, and we're not surprised that they're both having success. Uh, another kind of new addition for you guys that you didn't have that that complex league experiment experience with um is a guy that i haven't gotten a, a chance to get a look at yet he came over in that mitch white trade um what are your initial impressions of, of alex de jesus and uh how he's fit in for you guys yeah i think i think blue jay fans are really going to like following this young man uh, over the next few years uh, just another another kind of typical blue jay prospect of a, a great human great worker very smart um very professional in how he comes to the ballpark every day and, and how prepared he is. Uh, so, you know, he's been with us for probably three and a half weeks now. And, and after the initial shock of being traded and, and switching teams and leagues, uh, really starting to see him come into his own. But yeah, Alex is a left side infielder, good frame. He's got all the tools to play and stay in the infield. Uh, you know, his numbers at the plate speak for themselves. I think he's just continuing to heat up. And uh, and there definitely is a high ceiling there with him as well as he goes forward. Wanted to ask you about one more player specifically. Uh, I know Diane Santos just got to you guys at 19. You know, high is a, a big bump, a, a big challenge. What are you looking for, you know, organizationally um, in Diane Santos as he takes this next, next step with you guys? Yeah, I mean, just to see how he continues to, you know, accept the challenge of facing older and, and more seasoned and, and almost, I hate to say more veteran players, but you know, players that are three, four years older than him. So um, 
another kid who came from the complex league last year. He was one of the best in that entire circuit and um, not surprised at the, at the success in, uh, in low A and uh, just a little bit overwhelmed his first couple of times on the mound here. But uh, really for him, it's kind of how he bounces back. That'll be the biggest test this week is, you know, he bounced back from his first outing, um, was down in Everett, and then he, uh, he bounced back a little bit better in Vancouver last weekend. And just expecting him to, you know, just how, how does he deal with the failure of, you know, getting slapped around a little bit or not having his best stuff? And, um, you know, if you see his work daily and you watched his side yesterday, you'll know that, you know, the next outing will be better than the last. And, and I think that's going to be a story of, of Diane's future in his career is, just going to continue to rise, rise to the challenge and, and improve upon his last outings. Uh, Brent, you guys are headed for potentially the, the playoffs here, potentially a division crown. Um, you being a local kid, if you guys are in the playoffs and, and uh, you know, hosting some games at the NAT, what is the like request for tickets going to be like for you from, from people around Van and North Delta? Oh, probably, probably about the same 20 a night as I normally get. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, I've got some. I've got, I have. I'm lucky to have some very loyal fa- friends and family that are in the area, and um, even people that aren't aren't around. I know are paying attention and watching the scores and the the highlights. So it's uh, it means a lot to me and, and to the players. And honestly, uh, with how how awesome the NAT has been all year, I don't know how it can get any better for the playoffs. So um, I feel like we've been playing in front of a playoff crowd for 60 or 80 games now. However many we played at home. Well, looking forward to uh, following from here, Brent, and best of luck the rest of the way. I appreciate you taking the time out. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Brent LaValle, the manager of the Blue Jays' high A affiliate, the Vancouver Canadians. They are four and a half games up in the division right now with 10 to go. Now, they've lost some of their bigger prospects because the New Hampshire Fisher Cats came calling. The Jays were like, no, they're ready. Get them up to double A. They're playing this well for high A. In a couple minutes, we're going to talk to Keith Law of The Athletic. He actually saw a, a bunch of those guys last week. Uh, he caught them in person for a couple games. We're going to get his takes on, um, you know, we've talked to him before about Ricky Tiedemann, about Elvis Martinez, uh, but he got a closer look at those guys, got a closer look at Addison Barger, a um, couple others. We, we're, we might kick around some names, too, that are... You know, it's a little early for this, but the Jays, like every team, are going to face a bit of a 40-man crunch in the offseason as some of your prospects graduate to Rule 5 eligibility. Uh, And I also want to get Keith Law's take on the fact that, you know, obviously the Jays with the expanded rosters here are not calling up premium prospects in Casey Lawrence and Bradley Zimmer as their additions. Most good teams probably aren't because if you're a good team, you either have cashed in those prospects or graduated those prospects or called them up earlier because you're in a win now situation. Uh, Baltimore is on the fringe of this playoff race and they just called up Gunnar Henderson who immediately homered uh, and lost his helmet and had the hair flowing for his first home run trot. They're calling DL Hall up. For this weekend, um, depending on the timing of that move, you might see him if you're a, a Jays fan and you're seeing four Orioles games in three days next week. He's another top prospect. They, of course, graduated Adley Rutschman to the majors earlier this year, and, and he's been a monster. So uh, curious as to Keith's take on that, and we'll do kind of a, a high-level look at, at where the Jays system stands heading into 
next year. Um, the Jays do have three against the Pirates coming up. We do not have probable pitchers for this one yet. It's going to be a bit of an interesting thing to watch for the Jays. I, I think it's interesting, first of all, that they haven't announced them yet. It, it tells you maybe they're not just going with uh, the next three guys up. Um, they do have a doubleheader on Monday to worry about. You do maybe, every win is very important right now, but you do maybe look ahead to that Orioles series and, and put a little bit of a, a premium on those games versus games against the Pirates you might feel uh, more comfortable with. If they were just staying on rotation, you'd be going Manoa, Stripling, Barrios, which would leave you with Gosman and whether it's Kikuchi or Casey Lawrence or a different call-up starting the second part of that doubleheader on Monday. Uh, You could, of course, also just start Mitch White in that one um, because of the off day today, but then you're just moving the issue somewhere else uh, in that Baltimore series. So you don't get out of it uh, entirely. Be interesting to see. The the Pirates, uh, they haven't announced theirs either. I don't think it'll matter to you quite as much right now. If they stayed on turn, it would be Oviedo, Contreras and Brubaker. So if you're a Jays fan who's watched closely when they play lesser starting pitchers of late, you might dread uh, seeing those names uh, on the bill coming up. We'll see what the pirates do. We'll see what the Jays end up doing with that. We've got a few texts in the text line. Uh, you can keep those coming five ninety five ninety. Throughout the show, uh, Maurice from Caledon says, I don't pretend to be an expert on baseball, but I don't really see any improvement in the Jays since they fired their last manager. Am I missing something? Um, Maurice, evaluating a manager is a little hard to do here in 2022 because as every front office will tell you, the decision-making is very collaborative and some things are coming top down from management or from the analytics department. And there are multiple people on the staff's contributing um you know some things we can look at are what the batting order looks like the reliever usage i would say i've been more or less happy with with the way john schneider has used the bullpen and what situations he's put guys in there are a couple exceptions there um there was once early in his tenure that anthony bonda was in in a higher leverage spot um you know, I, I don't think I have the the same level of confidence in Trevor Richards' big picture that the the coaching staff seems to. But for the most part, you know, when your bullpen has been the third best bullpen in baseball since you took over, you're probably doing a good job with that. Um, but no, it, like overall, this isn't a very different team than the one he took over. And the personnel is almost exactly the same. The front office is the same. The analytics staff is the same. The hitting and pitching coach are the same. So I don't know that we should have expected a, a ton of strategic difference they've been a little bit more aggressive on the bases um someone asks if we're not going to talk about sid at last night's blue jays game i know he was there with uh, a home plate lady um no i i don't know i didn't get sid on the on the show i'm sorry about that one uh fun night despite the loss though with that going on and all the jays care foundation auctions going on danielle michaud doing a, a terrific job uh, throughout the broadcast, updating you on those. And I had the pleasure of talking to Buck Martinez about that fishing trip uh, that someone won on the show yesterday. It was a fun one, despite the loss. Uh, Mark from Tilbury says, the only teams we've played consistently against this year are the Red Sox and the off days. I mean, I don't know. They've done pretty well against the Yankees. 
maybe you're you're looking ahead to that. I don't I don't know. Um, yeah, the Red Sox. Uh, this is this is actually something I wanted to point out about the uh, the Orioles as well, and, and it applies to the Red Sox in the other direction. And it's that the quality of an opponent is not static. A team that finishes 500 is not 500 all year. They might be 600 for a stretch. They might be 400 for a stretch. And some of that's noise, but some of that is also teams get better. Teams get worse. Uh, teams get injured. Teams call up hot prospects. So, um, you know, the Jays have kind of run, tended to run into Boston at their worst and run into Baltimore at their best. Those things, maybe you trust they even out over the course of 162. You just better hope that uh, the timing's favorable down the stretch here when you run into those teams. Uh, but yeah, the Jays haven't been, you know, that consistent against a lot of teams. And Tampa Bay and Baltimore are probably the two you could put out there. And you're going to see them 19 times down the stretch. So you can... Uh, you're going to get a look. You're going to you're going to see Mark from Tilbury if the Jays can uh figure some of those teams out because 19 is a a lot a lot of games when you only have 33 left overall. Um big percentage. Uh again, 3 against the Pirates, 3 against Texas next weekend, and then that's it until the last week of the season in terms of sub 500 competition. So things are getting ratcheted up. You could look at that as an opportunity. You could look at that as, well, the Jays are going to be playing playoff-style baseball for a month and be in a playoff race and be playing playoff-caliber opponents. That's a really good way to get you ready for the playoffs, dot, 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 if you make the playoffs. Uh, And the Jays are not a certainty to do that, no matter what the playoff odds might say. That's the present look. We're going to tee up that pirate series to talk about the present Jays a little bit more at 630 with Drew Fair Service. But next, I'm going to talk to Keith Law of The Athletic about the New Hampshire Fisher Cats and how he'd grade some of the Jays' top prospects after seeing them for a few days in person last week. That's Keith Law. That's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Joining us now, fresh from uh, a trip to see the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, is Keith Law of The Athletic, author of The Inside Game and Future Value and Smart Baseball and all your favorite prospect articles over at The Athletic. Uh, Keith, when you went to see the New Hampshire Fisher Cats last week, was that uh, a better or worse trip than like going to England and Wales for a couple weeks? <laughs> I just drove to Somerset, right? I was I slept <laughs> in my own bed at night. So I I think I'm going to go with England and Wales. Um how was the trip to Somerset though in general? I know you you wrote a thing up on the Jays prospects. We're going we're going to hit on a couple of those. Um but in general, being back on the road after the vacation, being back at games, uh getting a look at some of these guys we've talked a lot about this year. Uh how was it? Uh, it was good. It was great, actually. It was great to be back at the ballpark. Tuesday was – I went twice, Tuesday, Friday. Um, Friday was when Ricky Tiedemann pitched. I'm sure we'll get to him in a second. Uh, went to four games in a five-day span, I think, or what was it, five in a seven-day span, something like that. And it was 
great to kind of get right back at it. And also it, it is very typical for my schedule. Sort of, I was going to say when it rains, it pours. We don't really like talk about rain in my line of work. <laughs> but that last week was all the matchups. And this week has been not great. I'm going to go to a game on Saturday, but I haven't been to anything the last two nights. I'm not going anywhere tonight. I had one good option for tonight and not much the last couple of nights. Then next week is going to be crazy again. But it's fine. I'm not complaining. It's just the nature of it. I want to go multiple places each night next week and can't do that. Last week was kind of like that. I would have gone to Somerset at least one more time, except I also went down to see Jackson Holiday make his full season debut and was lined up to go to I visited my parents over the weekend. I went down to see Fredericksburg to see one of the main players the Nats got back in the Juan Soto trade. So it was trying to just reach in every different direction at once. And it just worked out really nicely that I got two very good looks at New Hampshire and Somerset. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. And, and, you know, some of those names are very interesting to me, but this is a Jay's show. So I got to ask you about the Fisher Cats guys. Um, so Ricky Tiedemann, obviously the, the headline item with the Fisher Cats right now, moved through the system pretty quickly this year. Um, other than Gabrielle Morano, the Jays' top prospect, if you ask just about any any of the sites or any of the, the people like yourself, Keith, um, what did you see from him in the game at Somerset that you got to see him on the mound? I know it wasn't a full start. I know they're controlling his innings right now, uh, but did you like what you got to see? I did and I didn't, right? There were pluses and minuses, and I think this is it for him. I believe he's been shut down for the year. They were clearly managing his innings, right? He missed a couple of weeks. He was off the mound for a couple of weeks in July. There was no injury reported, but it was just, uh, it was clear they were trying to handle his, manage his workload comes back it's strictly three innings every time out i think he only threw 29 pitches in the game i was at and his stuff was a little bit down from where it had been earlier in the season or late last year like in instructs when there were reports of him hitting 98 and 99 he didn't do that i got 93 to 96 which is obviously very respectable still for a left-handed pitcher it just makes you wonder a little bit oh what where is the other velocity? Is he tired? It's the most likely explanation. We're near the end of a season. It is the longest season I think he's had probably in four years at this point. So he could just be wearing down. could be normal fatigue. Uh, he, I think, has the makings of three above-average pitches. He would, if he holds up as a starter, I think be an above-average member of a rotation. I have some delivery concerns, though. He is they, – they have him all the way on the first base side of the rubber, which does give him more deceptions against lefties. I cannot imagine being a left-handed hitter and facing this guy. <laughs> Between where he is and how low his arm slot is, the ball must look like it's coming from somewhere behind your right ear. <laughs> and then he has this really – Big, sweepy slider. It really reminded me a lot of Andrew Miller when I saw Miller as an amateur, where Miller, he was good against lefties and righties, and so is Tiedemann right now. Miller could just sweep that slider all day long. Hitters could see him three times in a game, and they would just not lay off of it. And I mean, that Tiedemann has definitely has that kind of slider. But where he is on the mound makes it really hard for him to work to his glove side. And I had some access to some pitch data that also indicated, yeah, he's not working to his glove side. Everything is arm side because that's where he is. And one thing that I think bedeviled Miller throughout his career as a starter was hitters would lay off the slider more as he moved up the ladder because he didn't land it for strikes. And they didn't see a lot of that from Tiedemann. It was chases. He, he's going to get chases on that pitch forever. But will he also be able to land it enough for a strike? that it remains as effective as he gets to major league hitters. Now, I understand these are sort of small criticisms, but is the question with someone like Tiedemann is, 
we all agree he's really good. Exactly how good is he? And that's where I come down on the maybe we should just pump the brakes a little bit on the hype where the ceiling is still there. But there are a lot of ways that this could work out where he is a very good major leaguer but does not become a number one or number two starter. Well, it's, and it's not only, you know, what is the the ceiling or the likelihood of of reaching it, but because he moved quickly this year, because the Jays don't have a lot of top pitching prospects at the highest level of, of the minors, uh, people are pretty excited about the you know not rushing necessarily but him being sped to the majors and if there are those concerns maybe that slows it down a little bit requires a little bit more time um for anyone who hasn't watched Tiedemann pitch or seen the highlights when Keith talks about where he is on the mound and his delivery um he's he's a left-hander and he's very far on the first base side he lands on that side as well and Keith one of the things that you pointed out in your write-up about this at the athletic is that it can be tough then to not only the, the slider location, but to get that fastball inside against righties to, to keep them honest where, um, you know, it might be a little easier for righties against his fastball. Now, my question from that would be, can you effectively move him toward the center of the rubber without losing just how great that slider is against I mean, I'd imagine it would be even better against righties if if he's in the center of the mound, uh, but maybe it isn't quite as biting to lefties. I, I think you could. Now, this is a debate that's been going on probably since longer than I've been alive in <laughs> terms of what to where to put a guy on the mound. I mean, the, the whole Kevin Gossman thing when he was uh, in Baltimore, what Buck Showalter and his pitching coaches insisted that Gossman had to be on the extreme third base side of the rubber. He's a right-hander, obviously. So it was kind of the same thing mirrored and Gossman really struggled with it because he couldn't get to his glove side at all. He was also less comfortable there. I don't think that is the case for Tiedemann, uh, but yeah, you you cannot simply seed a third of the zone to opposite side hitters. So there are multiple ways that the Jays could try to go about addressing this, but I think the most straightforward thing is moving him just a little bit on the rubber. I'm not even saying you have to move him to the center of the rubber, but he doesn't have to be standing like, you know, if the rubber were, you know, one of those girders in the you know videos of the 1930s, the construction <laughs> workers, if he stood there, he'd fall off. Like it's <laughs> not, you can move him two inches and, just give him probably give him about two inches back in the strike zone towards his glove side. Um, you could also work on where he's landing too, where he's where he lands, uh, cuts himself off a little bit, which further seeds part of the strike zone as well. And if he, it's true, this is tricky, right? He might land too open, but could you get him to rotate just a little bit more? So he's a little bit more facing the plate and better able to extend and potentially locate the fastball just a little bit further inside to right-handers. I'm not proposing major changes because also I think you do that with a pitcher like him. The most likely outcome is you screw it up. Right. You don't do that. But there are things that they could do on the development side that what I think would improve his probability of becoming a really good major league starting pitcher because he has the three pitches. I mean that to me is or will at least in the near future. That's the hard part. You just don't see a lot of left-handers who have this stuff. So, okay, where do we, you know, what, how do we finish this around the edges now? Because the, the core is there. You have the makings of a really good big league starting pitcher. It's how do you get him over the final few obstacles so that he can be that in the majors. And I'd imagine if that's it for him in game action this year uh, for the season, as it sounds like from from what you heard there, um, you know, back to that Dunedin developmental complex, and I'm sure that's something they'll be working on uh, with him. 
Someone who is not going to get shut down and, uh, you know, really it's only his ability to get on base and his ability to hit home runs even that's been shut down of late. Uh, we I made a, a big deal about Aravis Martinez breaking the New Hampshire Fisher Cats single season home run record. He got his 28th a while back and has more or less stopped hitting since then. He hasn't homered since then. His batting average is now down below 200. Uh, his OBP well below 300. What do you even, when, you know, in your write-up for The Athletic, you were pretty negative about the approach at the plate, which has been a, a pretty consistent talking point with Aurelvis Martinez. When the approach and the plate management is that far away, what is even a next step for a guy like this? I think probably repeating double A is the next step with you know, a, a series of conversations and, and obviously some help as well that says you're staying here until this improves because his approach stinks. It's it's it was immediately evident. First game I saw, I believe he swung at the first pitch three of the first four times through. And then the, the one time he didn't swing at the first pitch, he didn't swing at anything. Um, he did end up walking, but I'm just guessing, but it looked like he was told you are not swinging until you see a strike. <laughs> uh, which is fine. That's actually pretty pretty common and very easy to execute developmental idea. But it wasn't like, oh, this guy just got religion at the plate in his third plate appearance of the night. He's he and I saw him again on Friday, and it was the same thing all over again. Like, he's athletic and loose and has bat speed. He actually was better at shortstop in the one game he was there than I expected. So I'm by no means giving up on him, but you can't hit like this. He can't. Granted, there are some guys who can hit with this kind of I'm swinging at everything approach. But hell, even Javi Baez is having a lot of trouble now that his approach has just gone. You know, he was always kind of dancing on the edge of what was even acceptable and a little bit worse. And suddenly he's just not a valuable big leaguer anymore. And that's where Aurelvis is on the wrong side of that line. I'm not saying he has to suddenly draw 80 walks a year. He's never going to be that guy. But there's just no selectivity and there's no plan. That's really what it is more than anything else. When it looks like you're going up to the plate and you've already decided you're swinging before the pitcher has even released the ball, we're kind of in the wrong space. It may also be a sign, and we can only say this with hindsight, that he shouldn't have started the year in AA. That's a fair question to ask. I would certainly not levy it as a real criticism of the Jays at this point because we didn't know this before the season. They probably didn't either. But I think we can look at it now and say this has not worked out for him. And having him return to that level next year is probably best for him. But doing so after potentially, you know, hopefully, hopefully arming him with some of the tools he needs to develop more of a plan at the plate, whether it's pitch recognition, location recognition, different techniques to just try to get him to work the count a little bit more or be more comfortable hitting with, with one or two strikes on him. I don't know specifically where he needs that. I just know I can see the results that this isn't working. Right. And for anyone who who's hearing that and is maybe getting discouraged about the idea of repeating, um, keep in mind, Aurelvis Martinez, almost four years younger than an average player at double A right now. So there's there's lots of time. There's lots of room for him to continue to improve. Um, so he was at shortstop the one game you saw him there. I would imagine the other game was Addison Barger there, who, who you and I had talked about a little bit before um, the part of your write up about Barger was. Pretty optimistic, and there are still some questions longer term about exactly what his role is, if he's a platoon guy, um, if he's good enough at, at shortstop. But 
in terms of the bat and at least being a second base, third base guy who could man the strong side of the of a platoon, um, you came away pretty encouraged? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think exactly what you said, actually. Uh, if I if you were asking me to put a hundred bucks on what is his specific role long term, I would say high value utility infielder or super sub who mostly plays against righties, but could potentially be in your lineup every day you face a right-handed starting pitcher, but does so at a different position, you know, just about every day, playing mostly second and third, but occasionally filling in at short. He's not a shortstop. He could play it on a temporary basis. I think if he's your backup shortstop, that's fine. Uh, he was um, completely adequate at third base when I saw him. He was not really well tested, but I also didn't see anything there that made me think, oh, there's no way this guy can play third base. I'm going to assume he's fine at second just based on how he moved in the two games where I saw him. I don't have any reason to question whether he could do that. I've also talked to other scouts who all say he's fine. If he's your utility infielder, you're doing quite well. The question for me of whether he could be more than that is probably down to the platoon question. Can he, he does not hit left-handers well. And I saw him a little bit against lefties and it wasn't great. Can he improve there? That's the skill that often comes later to left-handed hitters. Cause they just don't face that many, especially as amateurs, right? They, they generally don't see a lot of good left-handed pitching at any point, particularly if they're high schoolers, if they sign out of high school, by the time they get to pro ball, they've probably seen maybe one decent left-handed pitcher ever in their lives. And so, I don't give up on him being eventually learning to hit lefties enough to be an everyday player. And then I think he could be, you know, what we'd call a 50, uh, just a solid average regular at second or third. Right now I'd probably come in just a little under that, but would also point out the player I've described Barger being at this point is still really valuable. And for a guy who didn't look like much of a prospect coming into the season, this is a great outcome. Yeah, and, and I know that we don't, you know, we've gone away from doing player comps, but I, I, when you describe what that role looks like, and maybe this is, you know, closer to the kind of 90th percentile outcome for him, but I, I thought of a Jake Cronenworth as a, a guy who's in there more or less every day for, for a pretty good team and has, you know, a little below league average OPS overall, but has some pop and can play a couple different, uh, a yep. couple different spots. So um, that's a pretty valuable guy to have, especially as someone who, you know, cost you nothing really to get in the system and you weren't thinking high on the opposite of that, a guy you spent a lot on and is probably, you know, we could talk about 40 man crunch stuff uh, ahead of the rule five draft in December. I don't know that anyone's going to be sweating Adam Kloffenstein uh, being unprotected in that at this point. And that's a guy that the Jays had invested in pretty heavily. You, You don't see him as much of a prospect at all anymore. I don't think he's anything. I'm sorry. That's like, sounds mean, but there's nothing there at all. He was 90, 91. He was getting whacked. His, he threw two breaking balls. Neither of them was average. I mean, his, this is a risk with high school pitchers that has existed forever. But I will say just sort of stereotypically that, that this is the Texas high school guy when it goes wrong, right? The Kerry Woods generally go right. You know, when it goes wrong, it's that guy through 98 in high school and suddenly he's throwing 91, two, three years later in pro ball. And that's basically where Kloffenstein is. It's just, there's nothing there to recommend him. It's not command. There's not one pitch you could hang your hat on. Obviously the first thing you do is you, you put him in the bullpen. I'm actually a little surprised they haven't done so at this point. You stick him in the bullpen and see if the stuff gets a little better. Um, you know, hey, who knows? This kid could go work with driveline this offseason and suddenly regain his lost velocity. But based on where he is right now, 
I don't think there's any prospect value. He's not somebody you protect. He's not somebody you include in a trade to get a better return because there's there's just nothing there to indicate. I mean, he can't get double A hitters out. Yeah. So there's no reason to think he's going to get hitters at higher levels out, which is unfortunate because, as you said, they put a lot of money into him. That was the Groshans Kloppenstein draft, and they end up trading Groshans in a larger, you know, as part of a package to get modest help to upgrade the big league roster. And Kloppenstein looks like he's going to end up with no value at all. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, you didn't get to see Sam Robertsa start while you were there, did you? Unfortunately, no, okay. I did not. And um, Zulueta has not pitched. Yeah, he's been on the IL for for yep. quite a bit. Uh, another guy who uh, is is a more interesting Rule 5 slash 40-man crunch guy this offseason because I could definitely see another major league team talking themselves into him as a bullpen arm if he goes unprotected. Zuleta? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I think you have to protect him. Yeah. I, I think- mean, that one pitch he threw at the Futures game. <laughs> I, I, that changed everybody's minds. No, he's really good. I mean, from all accounts, I know people who um, – I know one scout who actually had put him in higher than Tiedemann because he's that's a clear starter, a no doubt starter for him. And every scout I know who's seen Zuleta has come back sufficiently impressed. You absolutely protect him. And I think we said, I said at one point when we talked, you know, I thought they could call him up maybe as relief help this year, but now he's hurt, so that's obviously not going to happen. But you know, he's he impacts the major league club next year. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a it's a little concerning given how often he's been injured and how little he's pitched. I believe it was yeah. a knee thing that uh, had had Currently. kept him out. And yeah, and he had the ACL reconstruction before, so um, that'll be something to watch for for sure. Um, Keith, before I let you go quickly, I, w- I want to turn to a different team. Um, Jays fans a little underwhelmed with the September call ups of uh, Bradley Zimmer and Casey Lawrence being added here. Obviously, things can change, but you look at another team in that wild card race with them, Baltimore. <laughs> promoted the number one prospect in baseball earlier this year. Uh, Gunnar Henderson gets bumped to the number one prospect and immediately gets promoted again. Uh, I just saw it come across the ticker. DL Hall's going to be up this weekend. How big an impact could Henderson and Hall make on this wild card race for Baltimore? Um, I'm going to probably sound like a, I'm a contrarian and say probably not that much. Okay. Odds are probably not that much. Now, I will say I did record a podcast earlier today. We're seeing what happens in a month. Who the heck knows, right? right? Gunnar Henderson could go out, could be a, could go full Shane Spencer, right? And hit 12 <laughs> home runs the rest of the month. And Gunnar Henderson is a really good player. He was number two on my prospect rankings. I think he's an elite defensive third baseman who can hit and has power and is going to be a star. I'm not betting on any of these guys having a huge impact just in a month in the majors, especially in their first month. I love DL Hall as a prospect. He doesn't throw enough strikes. I like Grayson Rodriguez quite a bit as a prospect. He's coming back from a long layoff. He's probably not going to pitch that much. Henderson, he could be great. He could also hit 180. And it won't change my opinion on him for the long term either way. I am remain very much a pro Gunnar Henderson person. But I'm not betting on them having a big impact this month. And I actually still think Baltimore ends up on the outside of the playoffs. They've played a little over their heads so far this year. And they're gonna. it's going to end up a great season that their fans should be very happy with. But I think they fall a little short. Yeah, and you know what? That's not the worst thing. And I'm sure developmentally, it's very, very good for these guys to be going through uh, a playoff race like this and playing in these high-intensity games against the Orioles. Have a lot of. Uh, I mean, I know they they have a slightly easier schedule than the Jays the rest of the way after this weekend, but um, they're going to be playing a lot of games against the Tampa Bay's and Toronto's of the world. So good developmentally uh, as well. Um, quickly, one more before I let you go, Keith. Um, yeah. The Jays not calling up Gabriel Moreno with the rosters expanding. That's something I had expected. They probably want Moreno playing every day. Uh, would you see a value, though, in, you know, it doesn't look like Buffalo is going to make the playoffs 
right now. Maybe they make a late push, but once that season wraps up, um, him getting the call, even if it's just kind of a, a taxi squad thing, to get that experience, to get those reps of you know prepping for playoff games and things like that, is that something you put stock into as a ca- for a catcher? Oh, I would absolutely call him up. But the Triple the A season goes well into September this year. Double um, A goes a little later than the A ball. Uh, two a ball leagues and triple a goes i think a week beyond double a and so if the purpose is just get this guy more at bats more and more reps behind the plate he doesn't really need reps behind the plate but more at bats is a good thing i think they probably leave him down until buffalo season ends but then i would absolutely call him up he's already been up he's on the 40 Mm -hmm. man that i don't really see the downside there and obviously if they go you know might be useful to have another catcher around as these guys are wearing down if they clinch have a couple of games left where after they clinch by all means let Moreno start three, three out of four games or something. So he just gets some more experience because they, they're at a decision point with these guys, a good decision point. It's a great position to be in. And obviously I'm a huge Moreno fan too. They're going to have to figure out what they're doing with him for next year. Right. And yeah. So the, the one thing that could maybe swing that is Buffalo makes the playoffs They're three and a half games back right now, but there's a bunch of teams for them to jump. Otherwise, September 28th is the, uh, the date to keep in mind for Jays fans there. Uh, Keith law. Thank you so much for taking the time out, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, great to uh, just fortunate timing for me that you, you got to see New Hampshire and yes. uh, really appreciate you taking the time out. My pleasure. Keith Law of The Athletic, author of The Inside Game, a future value of smart baseball. Uh, you know him. You know where to read his prospect stuff. And if you want a little bit more on Tiedemann, Martinez, Barger, and Kloffenstein, uh, you can go check out Keith's write-up from, I mean, there's more than just the Blue Jays in there, but uh, you as a, a Jays Talk Plus listener, go check that out at theathletic.com uh, slash author slash Keith dash law or the Blue Jays side of the site, whatever, wherever you go, you know where you're going. We bring Keith on, we bring Caitlin on, you know where to find your Jays uh, athletic content in addition to, by the way, I mentioned Sam Robertsa uh, a little bit there who Keith didn't get an eye on. A phenomenal piece up at sportsnet.ca right now by Shai Davidi on him. He has such an interesting prospect story as uh, a Dutch player, as someone who the Jays were able to target because they had acquired a little bit more um, international pool money. Really good stuff from Shy. So go check that out. We have Shy on the show tomorrow. So we'll talk to him a little bit more. Uh, he's on his way to Pittsburgh right now. But yeah, check that out. Sportsnet.ca. Uh, Sem is a very interesting prospect. Um, you know, we, we brought on Doug Fox, future Blue Jays earlier in the year, and he spoke really highly uh, of him as well. And he's now another guy they've taken away from our pal uh, Brent LaValle uh, and those Vancouver Canadians. He's up with New Hampshire now. By the way, this is, I don't think major league teams do this very much, but something I will do in out of the park baseball is say my double A team doesn't make the playoffs. You send your top guys down to high A so they can help make the playoff push there and win a championship. I uh, don't know that the Jays will do the same. Let's take a break. Let me come back and talk to Drew Fairservice of the spin rate podcast. I'm going to try to keep them talking baseball. But that's a guy who wants to talk about Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs today. Uh, Drew Fairservice is next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Welcome back. 
to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy, and my feelings are a little hurt because that ad that played right as we came back was Shaylin saying that Blair and Barker is the best Jay's program, the best Jay show, period. Uh, all right. Jay's Talk minus it is. We'll be all right. Uh, no game tonight. So this is normally where we go through lineups, tee up the pitching matchup, give you the head-to-heads, all that stuff. Uh, we don't even know who's pitching tomorrow at this point. I just checked, looking for a game notes update. We don't know the Jays starters. We don't know the Pirates starters. Uh, let's tag in Drew Fairservice of the Spin Rate Podcast. Uh, he can't pitch. He, he has a bit of a catching history, though. So we'll, we'll see if he can uh, peg the starters down for us. But first, Drew... I aim to please the guests so they have fun and so they want to come back on. So at your request, Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs, man, mind blown or what? Catch you off guard? All the pieces are falling into place. It's going to happen. The the Bronny and LeBron to the Cavs, they need a small forward, Tom Haverstrow, who uh, uh, I think it was called Basketball, Basketball Illuminati or something like that on the <laughs> He's, he's the king. It's, it's going to happen. Like, I mean, I don't have any great love for the Cavs. That's a big trade, you know, disgruntled star. I guess the Knicks wanted him too, but uh, that's big news. But like I said, pieces falling into place for uh, LeBron to return home for the third time. Yeah, absolutely. Bronny James, 2024 NBA draft. Uh, LeBron James has signed a, a contract extension to 2025, but we'll see. Things can always happen. Uh, maybe there's an option in there or something like that. From one possible goat to another, Drew, Shohei Otani has an opportunity here. And, and yeah, we're going to talk Jay's stuff. This is a Jay show, but it's, a, it's an off night. We can talk a little more Shohei Otani. Justin Verlander and Shane McClanahan have both hit the IL. We've got a tiny window here for either a Shohei Otani MVP and Cy Young double dip or MVP one year Cy Young the next is this, as the world's foremost Shohei Otani fan, is this your World Series now? I wouldn't consider myself number one, a more of a Shohei Otani scholar mm. than a fan. Like this is this is this is more than uh, like a, a fandom. This is like a lifelong pursuit pursuit of knowledge uh, and and acknowledgement of a great moment. I, I it would be pretty great. I, I don't think he's going to get the innings pitched. I think that he would need to throw. He's only at, what, 128 innings, yeah. 122 innings right now. Um, not enough, sadly. Uh, but he's pitching as well as anybody. He is uh, in the American League, what, like top five in, in the American League? In yep. like uh, ERA, expected ERA, wins above replacement. So he's basically a four, more than a four-win guy uh, right now with a, still, a, like, what, three more, four more starts to come. Um, it's, uh, he starts next Friday, against uh, tomorrow, against the, the Astros. Yeah, it would be it would be really something if he if he can get into that Cy Young conversation. I don't think he's quite there yet, although just just for the innings pitched, he's been as good as anybody could ever hope to be. It's uh, it's really quite crazy. But the MVP thing just is not going away. I thought it was going to be judges, but now it's that gap is clo- is, is tightening for sure. It, it sure is, and, and it's wild to look at. Obviously, you know Shohei kind of breaks wins above replacement, right? Because not only is he um, playing two positions. So you got to open up two leaderboards. You got to do that quick mental math, but also like he's hitting and he'll get credited with the replacement level of a designated hitter, but he's also a pitcher. Like there's no, there is no replacement level for Shohei Otani because not only is he hitting like this as a pitcher as the DH, but he also like you get a free roster spot 
because he can man two positions. Like there's just, there's nothing. There's no, there's nothing to compare him to. And uh, yeah, he's not, uh, there's no one like him. It, it seems remarkable to be watching a guy like this who there's just no context for. Um, in terms of that AL Cy Young race, do you see any window for Kevin Gosman or Alec Manoa to sneak their way onto some ballots with a strong September here? On the ballots, for sure. Gosman in particular, right? Gosman's winning like the fifth championship. Gosman's ha- had the much uh, much uh, maligned or much noted batted ball struggles. Um, he's just been so good about strike- strikeouts to walks um, and then keeping the ball in the ballpark. Uh, although the run, you know, the the runs that end up on the board, they end up on the board. So if he has a crazy lights out month where everything lines up, he will definitely start to shoot up the race because he's pitched a lot of innings, because he's taken every start, um, and because he pitched so well. Um, and then Manoa is sort of like the a little bit of the flip side where he's done a good job of, of keeping runs off the board, which is the pitcher's job. Um, I just don't think he's been quite as dominant as some of as some of the other pitchers you mentioned, Justin Verlander. Of course, that's a pretty easy an obvious one. Um, but I, you know, I just, I think Manoa's numbers are really good and his numbers, you know, you, all you have to do is you can dig into them any way you want. And, and, and there's a part of, part of me that's always like, is this, is this Alec Manoa? A little bit of smoke and mirrors. There's been a lot made about his stuff or how he's been grinding over the last whatever month or so, not having like a really, truly dominant start. Although of course he was great last Saturday, but anytime you look at any kind of leaderboard, anytime you look at who's really good at limiting home runs, who's really good at, you know, limiting slug on fastballs up in the zone, which is something I was just looking at. There's Manoa's name. It's always there. He is, um, he's just such a, he's such a horse. He's such a, uh, having such a great year. And, and there's nothing when you look at him to suggest that anything about this is false. Anything about this is fake or transparent uh, or sorry, or like, or, or artificial. Um, he seems like the real, as real a deal as you can get uh, in terms of, being able to do it all, like grind the starts and be that workhorse and be that big dude who takes balls in the hand and whatever and still <laughs> comes out. So I don't know that he's going to necessarily win the Cy Young. I'm sure he'll get some down-ballot votes, and he'll have deserved those. And uh, But I think this is just the start of things, uh, hopefully like a long and successful uh, career as that as that. There's only a number two starter, you know, like like that's some kind of slight against him, <laughs> which I, sure, I assure you it is not. Uh, how dare you? Um so that is, you know, the the Cy Young discussion is, say these guys have a really strong September. Um, there's some reason to believe or at least some reason to worry that maybe they won't. Um, you mentioned that Alec Manoa had trailed off a little bit. He had that amazing start on Saturday. Uh, but prior to that, you know, kind of month over month, the ERA was going up a little bit. The swing strike rate was going down a little bit. Um, Kevin Gosman, the, the velocity rebounded last start. But the two starts prior to that were two of his lowest velocity outings of the season. And by far his lowest since that kind of since he kind of looked pretty refreshed after the all-star break. Um, any concern on your end that, yeah, the Jays don't have a choice, but to lean on those two guys, but they have leaned on them pretty hard by the standards of, of 2022 pitchers. I mean, there's always concern that they're pitchers, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to get any, any more complex than that. Uh, but I think, again, I, I just have loved the way that, that, that Manoa has gone about his business and that he can still, get so many outs that he can still pitch to so many innings when he's not in his best. Of course, you know, as we've all been saying, you'd love to see him go out there and just have a, be in cruise control, like in the rocking chair, as they say, just on the mound, playing catch and mulling guys down. Um, Hasn't quite been that way other than Saturday uh, against the angels. But um, I mean, is there, is there a concern? 
No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I would not say that I'm overly concerned about Manoa. I'm I'm wary, maybe, or, 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 or conscious of him, the potential for him to kind of come up against the wall after a long year, uh, a second in, a, in, in succession, where he just busted through whatever previous innings limits he had, he had, or had come up, up across in the past. And then Gossman, like, no, he's just such a stud. He's just such a, you know, I heard um, uh, somebody, oh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was Arden, Arden on the radio last night talking about trying to get him to bite on about frustrations about, you know, the batted ball luck or just kind of having being a bit snake bitten this year. And Arden said that he wouldn't take the bait. He was just like, no, nope, just bear him down, just maybe look to strike out a few more guys, maybe do this, like not going to change anything really, um, which is great to hear. I mean, he's, he's a constant pro. He's been through it. He, you know, knows what works for him and has kind of come out on the other side. So there's, there's no doubt in my mind that, that Gossman is uh, he's that guy. And, and the, the Blue Jays are, you know, we've talked about it before. They're in a position now where maybe they overpaid a little bit for to get George Springer, to get Engine Ryu in the past in the free agent market. But I think that those were kind of the investments that allowed them to not overpay. Like they paid full price for a guy like Kevin Gossman, but he was happy to take their money. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. He's a stud. He's a stud, and they paid they paid stud prices to get a stud. And he's that guy, and I think that there's no reason to be concerned about that about him for the rest of the season. Yeah, if we could all just solve our problems by, oh yeah, I'm getting some bad luck. Why don't I just strike more guys out? Uh, must be must be nice. Must be nice. Um, on the Manoa front, you know what might cure what ails you? You get the Pittsburgh Pirates in your next start. Uh, it's 29th in the league in offense on the season. 29th in the league if we isolate for against right-handers. 29th in the league if we isolate for last 30 days. And there's a different team in last place for all those. But the Pirates have second last on lockdown. Uh, they're also the second worst team in baseball overall by record. I feel like the Pirates having, we're the second worst. We're not quite the worst, but we're very, very close to being the worst. Is kind of like their brand mission statement the pirates yeah, are it, it, sorry go ahead no so that's exactly right they're like not the worst close to it but we'll never actually be the worst by the way have you seen our, ball, our ballpark that's like they that's like what they they write on the dugout like is it, <laughs> sure the team is bad but look at the view it's beautiful yeah uh, you get that nice skyline home. it is a beautiful ballpark let it, there be no doubt i i, I and, and on the podcast today i if anyone's listening to this and is on the fence about what you want to do this weekend, get in the car, drive to Pittsburgh, and and take in a game. It is truly a wonderful ballpark. It's a great spot around around the around the diamond, uh, around the stadium, and and in a cool spot. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely good for what ails you. Like there's not a lot going on there. It's O'Neill Cruz and then whatever else. And even O'Neill Cruz, his, his numbers, his Statcast numbers are crazy. Everybody sees it when he hits 122 miles an hour or throws it 106 across the diamond or whatever it was. But he's still, uh, you know, really struggling, Strike out a, striking out a ton, striking out a ton. So while he might knock the fence down with, with, a, with a line drive, um, this could be that nice soft landing spot for a guy like for a guy like Manoa who could maybe get a little bit of a cru- couple cruise control innings under his belt. We said that before. We said that a week ago. We mm-hmm. were all kind of looking our chops, looking ahead to that series against the Angels who, you know, swept the Blue Jays and then took two or three from the Yankees. So, you know, you can, you can make fun of the Angels for a million different reasons, but they do have two of the best players in the world, and that can often be tough to go against, even if you don't get on Otani on the mound like the Yankees did. So there's a lot to a lot to look forward to from a religious perspective. But again, just thinking about it one day at a time, right? Like not not getting ahead, not thinking, oh, what are they going to do? 
you know, where they got to sweep this series, just think, okay, Friday night's game, what, what do the Blue Jays need to do to win? And it pitch their way through and around a, a not very imposing lineup, although they do have, you know, Brian Reynolds, who everybody loves. But other sure. than that, you got to think this is, this is tonight. We got to look for the W. Yeah, the one guy uh, hitting above average for that team. So uh, good, good for the Pirates. Um, but no, O'Neill Cruz is a lot of fun. And obviously that's, a, you know, he's a, a highlight machine. And basically he is the proof that StatCast is can still be cool as we kind of oversaturate those stats. Sometimes it can, he's the one guy that is like, no, no, there's a, there's a purpose here. Um, when you talk about how the Jays, you know, they squandered the opportunity against the angels and the angels do have Otani and trout, but the bats weren't that great against the Cubs either. They hit a couple home runs, but they only scored 15 runs over three games against pretty middling pitching and middling pitching is what they're headed for here in Pittsburgh. We don't know the starters, but um, you know, Fangraphs has them listed as Oviedo Contreras and Brubaker. So uh, Brubaker's interesting, but, but you know, it's not, it's not guys who are going to blow you away necessarily. Um, Do you have a theory on why it's been kind of the, junk baller type or journeyman type that have given the Jays a little bit more trouble in recent weeks? That's a great question. And I, I wish I, I knew, I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about the blue Jays. There's been a lot of belief anyway, or, or, or frustration that's been voiced by a lot of fans about, you know, they only swing for the fences and it's the, that's all or nothing approach. But I think it's in some ways it's the opposite. You know, we've seen it with Bo Bichette. You look at the, how far his numbers have fallen off when he pulls the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen Luis Gurriel become a different kind of hitter, which was really working for a while, and it was a really nice you know, counterpoint in that lineup. But now you're seeing Luis Gurriel, those singles have dried up and there's nothing left. You know, he has, he's got five home runs this year, and, and, now, and the singles are not falling, and now what have you got? Now you've got a you've got number three hitter who just is, is just slapping it, trying to slap the other way and to, to little or no effect. I think that when you are with any offensive player that falls into a, a given rut, for example, or if they become a little bit predictable in terms of how you can pitch against them, okay, well, this guy's always looking to go to right field, so let's you know jam it in on his thumbs. Let's go hard in, soft away. You know, not give him the chance to do exactly what, what he wants to do and let it work in our favor. So I think that can be that can be a bit of a, a problem. The other thing, I think the, one of the problems with the Jays is, you know, you've got a lot of guys who are really scuffling right now. You know, it was great to see Alejandro Kirk hit a home run the other uh, last night. His first in more than a month. You know, it was great to see Kevin Biggio hit, hit a home run the other, uh, last night. Again, first in a month. Uh, with Ramel Tapia, the, all those singles and everything, they've dried up. Uh, it, it, Danny Jansen had a great game the other night. But he was in a terrible, uh, going really bad. So it's hard to score runs when you've got four guys who are, you know, big old holes in the middle of your batting order. So the Blue Jays, you know, Vladdy's still going great. Obviously, George Springer is, has been a real catalyst to the top of the lineup. Bo Bichette quietly had a good month of August, still above average on the season, even though he's, you know, even much maligned. Nobody can get it wrong more often, apparently, than Bo Bichette. So they really need, just really need to kind of just get more guys going at once. It's, it's a tough time of year. We see Tiasta Hernandez kind of limping around, fighting injuries and things. So I really think that, you know, that combination of, Guys getting getting healthy, guys sort of getting their swings tuned in, and maybe that's an opportunity you could get in Pittsburgh where you're still facing, facing obviously big league pitching, but maybe some guys who aren't so formidable. Uh, get, getting guys right, getting guys on track, and having uh, guys get healthy, uh, while also, of course, hitting the ball over the fence, uh, as, as we saw this series, which 
goes a long way. It really does. It really helps when you can not just rely on stringing singles and singles and singles together. When you get somebody up with two on um, late in the game and then, or, or, or later in the game, like we saw with Kirk, and then the ball goes over the fence, suddenly it's a one-run game. You go down, <laughs> go from being down four to being down one instead of just hoping they string together two more hits to, do, to accomplish the same thing. So I think a, a few fewer outs and a few more big clouts and uh, the Blue Jays will be uh, back on their way where they where we think they belong, which is uh, at the head of that wild card chase, not at the tail. Hitting strategist Drew Fairservice hit home runs. Yeah, they're they're good. They're fun. Also, um, Drew, we can look around baseball and see some pretty fun additions today as rosters expand. Um, just saw the Yankees uh, called up Oswald Peraza. Uh, you obviously have the Orioles who added Gunnar Henderson a day early and now are. Um, adding D.L. Hall, and there's talk that Grayson Rodriguez could be back. And then on the Blue Jays' side, no disrespect to these two names, but it's Bradley Zimmer and Casey Lawrence. And Casey Lawrence, you know, we'll know more when we see how the Jays line up the rotation against Pittsburgh. That seems to me like maybe it's a short-term one through the weekend to make sure that you have uh, a just-go-out-there-and-wear-it guy if things go awry. That way you're not thinned out for the doubleheader on Monday. Um, Bradley Zimmer, though, I, I'm curious your take on it. And we talked about it a little bit when the Jays acquired Jackie Bradley Jr. because it seemed a little redundant with the Bradley Zimmer role and with the Rima, even Ryan Altapia, although he is you know kind of a different player than Bradley Jr. and Zimmer. Uh, you now have, if you pencil this lineup out, you're going to have three left-handed hitting outfielders on the bench most days, two of whom are basically pinch runner slash defensive replacements. Um, not that the 26th man is going to play a big role regardless, but were you a little surprised that Zimmer was the ad versus say a Zach Collins? That's that gives you a little more catcher flexibility or, or just, you know, someone who gives you a different look. It, it, it is the least inspiring group of September call-ups. It is, it is the least sexy uh, assortment of names that you could ever have imagined. There's so much out there. You know, the Blue Jays, there's still a lot to, to be decided, of course, in terms of health with Julian Merriweather and Nate Pearson, you know, just in terms of adding other guys. The fact that it's Casey Lawrence is just so, like, such a bummer because he is he has a job to do and it's, it's kind of soak up some innings and be, uh, be that guy, as you said. But, man, and, and the thing, yeah, with Bradley Zimmer, it's, it's fun-ish. But it's not even the kind of thing where, with some of these young prospects, it, with the prospects, the ceiling is 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 high, but the floor is, is is low, right? But you can you can imagine, especially when you're thinking about these young prospects coming up, that suddenly some guy comes in, he's been he's been your top prospect, and he's been tearing up in AAA. Maybe he catches fire in the big leagues, and for a month, it doesn't have to be sustainable, it doesn't have to be real. But if he just turns into you know, even Brett Laurie when he came up at the end of the uh, whatever year that was, 2011. Like, just goes crazy. It plays way over his head. What? How good would that be? What kind of a shot in the arm would that be to to a team like the Blue Jays that, as we just said, got a bunch of guys that are not that are scuffling. You know, there's so much talk about versatility, but you're cycling through three, four guys that are not offering anything. So it's great that that Whit Merrifield can go from playing second base to center field, but he's not particularly good at either of them. So like. You know, you you would love that that electric infusion of talent and that just a, something to dream on as a guy who can come in and be a difference maker. Bradley Zimmer's not a difference maker. Jackie Bradley Jr. is not a difference maker. They're unsexy kind of uh, 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 additions that have value, but it's not a matter of value right now. You're trying to win games and win the World Series, so 
So it's a, I can understand because I know that I am uh, a little frustrated, a little let down. But at the same time, you know, even if it's Gabby Moreno, you, you know, you, you even mentioned that, right? We just passed right over Moreno and into Zach Collins, who is uh, kind of an emergency addition at this point when we talk about that because you're not getting a lot from the catcher position with Kirk sort of slumping for the better part of a month and for Danny Jansen, who, you know, again, caught fire this week, but was um, really down bad for a while. So like Zach Collins is a different version of the same guy and that he gets in the left-hand side. So not sexy. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Bradley Zimmer has unlocked something in his, <laughs> in his tra- travails through, through uh, major league roster limbo. And he's going to come out like a house of fire and just start hitting home runs and look and be the guy that he looks like he is, you know, this, this incredible athlete who looks great in uniform, as they say, and, uh, but hasn't really been able to translate that into offensive production at the big league level. So, you know, understandable moves, sober, you know, logical moves, but like uh, I, I'm looking for something a little bit, a little bit of sex appeal in, uh, in September. Cause we're, again, I'm, if I'm watching the Blue Jays, I'm thinking they're trying to win the world series and neither of these guys, probably are going to figure into uh, any kind of World Series title. Yeah, and Bradley Zimmer, you know, maybe he unlocks some power, but you have to get plate appearances to do that, and he's not going to get those. So um, it also, you know, we're running out of time here, but it does cast the the deadline in kind of different light not different because i think a lot of people were underwhelmed with it but whit merrifield has been downright bad since he came here even if you anticipate better days ahead for him at the plate um anthony bass has been excellent but zach pop wasn't the expanded roster call up mitch white's struggling so um uh, an underwhelming deadline maybe looks uh even less so after the fact uh drew fair service never underwhelming always delivers on expectations uh thank you so much for making the time out man it was my pleasure, my friend. Drew Fair Service of the Spin Rate Podcast over at The Athletic. Heavy day on The Athletic. Um, there's no game today. This is where I'd quickly give you the lineups again, refresh you on my on the pitching breakdown. Uh, you got nothing. You just got another minute and a half of me before we uh, kick it over to the next show. No game tonight. The Jays are back in action tomorrow. It's an early start, uh, 6.35. So we will be back in this slot, but... 5 to 6.30, and as more of a teeing up the game show. We'll talk to Shai Davidi from down in Pittsburgh tomorrow. Um, we'll take a look at how the rotations line up for the weekend series once we know them. We'll have a couple other guests, I'm sure. Uh, thank you to Drew Fair Service, to Keith Law, to Brett Lavallee uh, of the Vancouver Canadians, to Adnan Verk for coming on today. Thanks to J.R. Manitad behind the glass, uh, as well as Brett Armstrong. Um, we'll talk to you tomorrow at 5 o'clock. I almost said 3 o'clock. That's next week. Uh, back 5 o'clock to 6.30 tomorrow as we tee up Jays against the Pirates. Three of the Jays' last games against sub-500 teams. Uh, enjoy your night off from the Blue Jays. After that Angel series, you may be wanting one. You'll miss them tonight when you sit down. There's no Jays on. We'll be back tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.